You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. You guys are awesome. You have a good church. Uh, We've had a relationship with this church, Pastor Ben, for 15 years. We were missionaries. For those of you that don't know, many of you know, but... Missionaries in China, worked with Tibetan people for a decade, and then now I get the privilege of being the missions director at Mount Hope. Um, Not really because of any of my doing, but because of, for whatever reason, God picked me to be the person leading it. Um, But we support, last year we gave over $3 million to missions, the year before over $2 million. We support 368 missionaries in 122 countries. That's not to make you think that I'm cool. But that's to let you know that I uh, have a perspective. My mind has literally gone across the world. We thought we knew missions when we had our perspective of what missions was like amongst Tibetan people for 10 years in the Himalayan plateau, uh, in a sensitive region in China and all of that. And then now I get the privilege of seeing it across 122 countries. And I could sit here and tell you stories that make you think revival is breaking out across the entire world. And I could also tell you stories that wouldn't have you need to go see a counselor. Um, I'm just telling you, we live in really, 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 really high opportunity times. And there's people that are paying a high price and proving their love for Jesus. And when I go around and I see people that are, are willing to be tortured literally for Christ, it makes me wonder... Um, if I really know God. It makes, me, it makes me, like, if there's a couple jurors in my head that are out on this whole Christianity thing, when I see people that are willing to give it all in a context where they get no social reward, it makes me start to think maybe there really is something to this Jesus thing. Um, so when I think of the state of the world, there's a song that comes to mind. It's an old, like, kid song. Now, my wife's advice, my beautiful, awesome wife is right here. We have two kids. They're not with us today. But um, my wife's advice is whenever I'm on stage and I feel like singing, don't. (laughs) She's literally said those words to me. So I'm sorry if I'm about to make you suffer for Jesus for a moment. Um, But the song, it goes like this. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Yeah, we got the claps in there and everything. You guys know this song. Um, can you sing it with me? I need some help, all right? So on the count of three, one, two, three. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. Yeah, the, is the for you, right? So I'm here to tell you that God is big and strong and mighty, and he, there isn't anything that you can ask, dream, or imagine that he isn't able to do for you. So, perspective. A few months ago, I found myself in Palestine and the West Bank, and in that area, I learned that if you're a loving parent, what you do from nearly the time your baby is born is you squeeze lemon juice into the eyes of your kids. The reason they do that is because they want the kids to understand what it feels to have their eyes stinging, to be so orientated with that disorientated feeling that when tear gas and pepper spray happens, they're still able to get away to get to help. When crowds of people get tear gas and kids don't know where to go and sometimes accidents happen. And so if you're a loving parent, you want to teach your kids how to react when their eyes are burning. And so 
daily, some of these Palestinian kids have their loving mom pray over them and squeeze lemon juice into their eyes and say, now what do you do? Okay, now take deep breaths. Now find the exit. Find the place where you can find shelter. Jihadists, we went and met some family members that this happened to. Jihadists will come to your door and they'll say, you have two options. Option number one is we kill you and then we shoot rockets from your house. Option number two is we don't kill you and then we shoot rockets from your house. It's up to you. Most people choose option two because they don't want to die. And so jihadists will shoot rockets from residential homes and then they leave and Israel will retaliate and shoot back to where the rockets came from and innocent lives will be taken. This is the life that they live. We sat in a hotel and otherwise normal hotel, not the best hotel I've ever stayed in, not the worst either. that's a whole nother train of thought. Anyway, so just like a general normal hotel. We sat in the lobby. People are offering us coffee. Tourists are coming in. We're in Bethlehem, a little city called Beit Sahor, just outside of the birthplace of Jesus. And these people walk in with their luggage. Everything's fine. It's a normal hotel. And I'm sitting across the table in the hotel lobby with a, a Palestinian pastor who's telling me about someone from their church that was kidnapped tortured and killed because they, they dare in that area to say that Jesus is king and the Lord of their life. We made our way to this part of the West Bank, this tiny little school where miracles are happening. There's some young missionaries that are there that are part of a school. And I went and I saw third and fourth and fifth graders learning about Jesus in above ground settings with big crosses and scripture on the wall and, and Spray painted on the wall is you can know peace, you can know Jesus, and things like this. Just the boldness of it. And as I walked through the hallways of this little school, I saw this little third grade classroom, about 30 kids in there, and they were singing this song. It wasn't in English, but I recognized the tune. The song went like this. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do for you, right? Sing that song when your mom's putting lemon juice in your eyes. Sing that song when you can point to people that used to sit there but don't sit there anymore because they've been tortured, kidnapped, and killed. That's a part of Jesus that I'm not sure I fully know. But I'm here to tell you that God, after all, he's not a tame lion, right, to quote C.S. Lewis, that our God is so big, he is so strong, he is so mighty, there is nothing that he can't do. And he, he does endeavor to do it for you, but he also endeavors to do it for them. I'm so grateful to be speaking at a a kingdom-focused church, a missions-focused church, because a missionary went, because some people gave. There's a new song that's coming out of Palestine. There's some cool stuff that's happening between Israeli moms and Palestinian moms, both Christian, both done with war, and they're meeting on the border and they're praying in the name of Jesus that Jesus' name would be lifted up high and that all of the world's armies would come to Jerusalem, but they would come to receive Jesus. And some beautiful things are happening because my God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. If we look at the world's most complex problems, the things that we feel like there's no hope for, God is big and strong and mighty, and he can help you. If we take it down to your level, you're like, okay, Russia, Ukraine, Afghanistan, all these things, they're so big and massive, and these are complex, horrible problems that go on for decades, but I'm depressed, and I want to kill myself, and my wife is this, and my husband is that, and my son is, we'd bring it away from those huge issues down to the micro issues, which for you are the actual massive issues. I'm here to speak life into you. My God, 
can be your God. And that God is so big and so strong and so mighty that there is nothing that he can't do. So then we just have to know him and we just have to find his will. It's really that simple. So I want to turn with you to Matthew 6, verse 9. This is part of the Gospels where they ask Jesus how to pray. So that you know who's talking to you. I know I jumped right in. I was ready to get after it. Um, I was born in Canada. My parents are immigrant parents from England. They ran away from my granddad. I never met him. He was abusive, alcoholic, and all I heard is stories. They ran away to Canada. I was born there in third grade. I was diagnosed with dyslexia. I was told I would never learn a second language. When I was in eighth grade, I walked in on my mom trying to kill herself, and that's when I gave my life to the Lord. When I was covered in my mom's blood and vomit, and I looked up at the ceiling, and I said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. My holy prayer, my Lord come into my life, magic miracle prayer looked as sophisticated as this. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I didn't I didn't know how to pray, but I'm thankful that in the safety net of my Western culture, I knew which name to call on. There's people in the world that when they have their walking in on their mom dying moment, they will, they will scream, Yama, 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 King of Hell, stop making me suffer. That's what the Tibetan would pray. They'll pray to a statue or pray to a God that doesn't answer, or if that God does answer, it'll be with the strong backhand of a demonic force. It won't be with the loving kindness of Jesus. But I'm here and happy to let you know that I'm an average, probably below average person that the Lord, uh, that called out to Jesus. Like I said, I was told I would never learn a second language. And then I felt like the Lord asked my wife and I and our young kids to go to China. And, uh, and I was going to learn Mandarin and I was going to teach English. I was like, you don't know me. I guess I'm going to play charades a lot. So normally what takes six months, we're doing a quick little Chinese lesson here. Everyone say ma. 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 Okay, so if I say Jishua the Fuching, option one, Jishua the Fuching, did anyone hear a difference? So one is this is my father, the other is this is my diarrhea. Okay? So if I say ma, it's like, Horse, if I say ma, is mother. Um, so usually, language learners will take six months, Chinese, English language learners will take six months just to be able to recognize and produce tones. Within a week and a half, my teacher told me, your tones are perfect. Why? Because I was born with a strong speech impediment. And the voice you hear now, I had to learn tones when I was really young. I had to sit in a dark room with headphones on and a speech therapist and had to produce noises so that you could understand me. Because what the world called a disability, Jesus was baking into me as a superpower. I'm an average person with a lot of what the world might call disabilities, but I've given them to Jesus. And you can do the same and he can turn them into superpowers. So, now that you know who's talking to you, I know I'm all over the place, but now that you know who's talking to you, let's go to Matthew 6, verse 9. One of the only places in Scripture where we see word for word how Jesus prayed. He gives us instruction in other places, but this is word for word how Jesus, at least through translation, how he prayed. He said, when you pray, this then is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If I was going to give a title to the next few minutes, it would be Your Kingdom Come Out There Like It Is In Here. We have a measure of heaven here on earth. 
on a Sunday morning as we gather. I love the local church. I love that the, the fact is most of us probably wouldn't be friends with each other if it wasn't for the church. We wouldn't be gathering like this. The beauty, as I travel churches literally all over the world, the beauty of age diversity, ethnic diversity, economic diversity, thought diversity that I see in the church is amazing. And it, would, it wouldn't happen if it wasn't for the institution of us gathering on a Sunday morning. To me, it feels a little bit like heaven when I get to worship next to people that are nothing like me. That, would, that I wouldn't meet with. I wouldn't, I don't, maybe this isn't the right thing to say. I'm not making any friends with this statement. But I don't know that I would go out and have coffee with you if we didn't share faith. But we have this binding thing that the creator of the universe made you and made me in his image. And we can worship together even though we're totally different. We might vote differently. We might worship differently. We might have totally different economic status. But we, we, this is heaven. Right here, Sunday morning, we get to have a measure of heaven. But my prayer, and I believe the Lord's prayer, is that it would happen out there just like it happens in here. So if I were to title today, it would be Your Kingdom Come Out There As It Is In Here. I love to play outside. Is anyone here like outdoor enthusiast? Yeah, one of the great gifts that the Lord gave me after I taught English for a year uh, as a, in China um, was that I didn't have to teach English anymore. <laughs> I was like, Lord, I don't like teaching English. These kids are Chinese and their English is way better than mine. Um, so we started a mountaineering company and for the most of a decade, we lived in the Himalayas, we climbed, we ice climbed, we did multi-pitch climbing, we did huge expedition stuff. It was beautiful. I love the outdoors. I know we're not allowed to swear in, in church, but I like winter. I actually love it. I love winter. So like I said, I know I'm sorry for swearing, but I love winter. When, like the best, the colder it is, the better. The ice, the ice is better. I like ice skating, hockey, snowboarding, snowshoeing, like all of it. I love it. So my son and my daughter now, 14 and 12, I'll come to my son and I'll say, David, look at the snow outside. It's beautiful. Let's go outside. And he's wrapped in his blanket. He's got his hot cocoa. He's got his iPad. He's playing War Robots. And he looks at me and he's like, I'm kind of good here, Dad. I believe that Jesus is asking us to go outside. As a father, if I create such a comfortable environment inside my home for my son and daughter, it will actually lead to some negative consequences for them. They can become overweight, they'll have vitamin D deficiency, they'll have diminished imaginations, they'll have atrophied muscles, have all kinds of autoimmune disorders, if all we do is stay inside. So as a loving father, I push my kids outside sometimes. Not physically, but I, I like encourage them, entice them. I'm like, come on, I'm waiting at the window. Like, let's go. Wait, I, I beg my kids to go outside. And I believe the Holy Spirit is begging the church, particularly the Western, Western church, particularly the American church, particularly the Michigan church, particularly the gateway is begging you to go outside. Just like a loving father would push his kids outside, the loving Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Father, wants us to go outside. The Lord's Prayer is an invitation from heaven to step outside. Your kingdom come, your will done, on earth as it is in heaven, out there like it is in here. If you guys will turn with me to Genesis 15, verse 5. In fact, the entire Bible actually is a an invitation to go to the nations. 
Genesis 5, or Genesis 15, I'm sorry, verse 5, it's up there. Uh, Genesis 15, verse 5. Abraham, he's already been promised a child. Time has gone by. He's sitting in his tent, and he's like, this thing doesn't even work. Like, I had this, like, voice in the sky. I had this religious experience, and now here I am years later, and it's not working. I've spent lots of time in tents, been on lots of expeditions. I know what it's like to be in a crammed little two-person tent with four people because it's warmer that way, but you can also smell each other's breath that way. So being crammed in this tiny little tent when your worldview feels like it's like this, and then you open up the zipper and like huge, beautiful, look at the expanse of the world and this amazing landscape. I know that feeling. So when I read this, I see Abraham stuck in his little tent, smelling his own breath, in his own little worldview, having a pity party about how the prophecies aren't working. And Jesus comes to, or the Lord comes to him and says, get out of your tent. Just get out of your own funk. Step outside, look at the stars. And he's, God, you really are so big. You really are so strong and so mighty. There really isn't anything that you can do or cannot do. And then God begins to speak miracles over him. We don't have time, but if you go through the rest of that chapter, he says, the promise of you're going to be a blessing. And there's going to be, your children are going to be like the sand on the shore, like the stars in the sky. You're going to bless who? The Jewish people, and that's it. No, that's not what it says. It's you're going to bless the nations. You're going to be the father of many, many nations. This isn't in my note. My notes, but I don't know what your... My wife's like, what's about to happen? <laughs> I don't know what your view of gentle Jesus is, but you look at how Yahweh created the temple. There's the Holy of Holies, there's the Holies, there's the Court of the Jews, and then the Court of the Gentiles. It was by God's design, sometimes called the Court of the Nations. By God's design, he built into the very beginning of it a place where the nations could come and know him. And the time we see Jesus flip out, literally, is when something is getting in the way of the nations knowing Jesus. He flips tables, he, dry, he says he, he braided a whip and cast people out. He's like, get out of here. If you're going to get in the way of them knowing God, if, you're, if, if they can't feel love when they come to church, then you should just leave. This is, this is gentle Jesus saying, hey, I'm done with it. I'm not, this isn't about religion. It's about the nations coming. You go to Genesis all the way to Revelation. You take a highlighter and you start to highlight the parts of your Bible that say all nations and all people and every ethnicity and every people group and everyone that walks this earth that's been created in God's image. You start highlighting your Bible from Genesis to Revelation. I promise you, your Bible will turn the color of a highlighter. Every chapter of every single book, nearly every verse, has something about the nations. Because this is why Jesus came. This is why we're still here on earth. Because God loves. Period. He loves. He loves. He loves. He loves. He loves. He suffered sin and death. We celebrated last week that he rose from the dead. Why? Because he loves. Yeah, he loves us, but he also loves them. You show me someone that is so far gone, that sin is so deep, that their worldview is so perverted, that the blood of Christ cannot cover their sin. You cannot. There isn't anybody on this earth that, that the blood of Christ isn't strong enough to make them righteous. I have to believe this because I know my own sin, because I've experienced it myself. When I was by, my, like I said, holding my mom in my hands, when she's still alive, she actually spoke a Mother's Day thing here, you might not have made those connections, but way after 
Satan tried to take her life through her own hands. The Lord helped her and brought her back to, not back to life. She wasn't clinically dead, but she was close to it. And I'm a believer that Jesus saved us for a reason. And it wasn't because I was perfect. It wasn't because I had all, all together. So if he did it for me, he, he can do it for them. And if he did it for me and there's a chance he can do it for them, then the love that's in me is so big that it has to go out to them. So out there, just like it is in here, where we worship the Lord, we love, we have these warm feelings, we have this beautiful body, may they have it as well. Simply put, the Bible gives us a great invitation to know the king and to carry the kingdom. If you know the king, you're, you know the king and you're here on earth, it's so that you can carry the kingdom. I have a couple observations that I want to make about as I read the Bible. The first one is that God is already waiting for us outside. He's already waiting for us outside. He's, on, he's out there knocking on the windows saying, I know you're warm and cozy. I know you're having fun. And I know, you're, you know, I know you've built your culture. But let's go outside. Yeah, I may have shared this story with you before. I've spoken here a few times. And you guys had a huge hand to play in it as we were uh, overseas. But my wife and I were first year in China teaching English. Again, like dyslexic kid at a communist university teaching English for people that are, some of them now actually are in government positions. And I'm just like, God, this is amazing, but I feel so inadequate. And I'm just kind of walking by myself. And I hear these kids that were over, like probably 18, 19 year old freshmen. And they're sitting in this court and they're holding like courtyard thing. And they're holding pieces of paper and they're reading. Today I went to two Ikea Fasi and I got some chicken. And I'm like, am I losing my mind? Am I just so craving KFC that I, that's not what they said? I'm like, wait a minute, say it again. Would you, you take me to KFC right now. Wherever this KFC is, I want to know. You take me there now, right? You know about KFC, I know about it. Let's, let's go, right? That's what's in my mind. So I go over to them and I'm like, hey, I'm an English teacher. Sounded like you, I think you were reading English. Is that true? They're like, yeah, we're sort of back and forth. I'm like, hey, you teach me a little bit of Chinese and I'll teach you a little bit of English and we're going to go get KFC. Sound like a deal? Sweet, let's go. So long story short, we met with them. They started inviting their friends. They started inviting more of their friends. I'm on a communist university. Literally, there's a statue of Chairman Mao that's like 40 feet tall behind where we were meeting. And they would teach their kids to burn incense to Chairman Mao. They would say this city is protected because Chairman Mao's spirit hovers over the city, that there's never been an earthquake there, that there's never... So they literally worship Chairman Mao and all that comes with that. And here I am reading English to these kids, but I get so fed up of reading things about KFC that I'm like, hey, why don't I, if I can print off Psalms and Proverbs and parts of classical literature from the Bible, would you guys read that? Yeah, sure, we'll read that. So we start reading it. And the picture you see there, over a thousand students holding printed off, printed off Bible in their hand in a place where you could go your entire life never meeting a Christian because God waits for us outside, because miracles are for us, what was two kids talking about KFC mixed in with a missionary trying to be obedient turned into literally thousands on a communist campus hearing about Jesus. God is awesome, and there are miracles waiting for you as you step outside. What's the big scary thing that God's asking you to do? What's the, what's the crowd of 5,000 that God's asking you to feed? Where do you look and you're like, I'm so limited, I cannot do that, God. But you feel the Holy Spirit pushing you to it. I'm, I promise you, there are miracles in that realm. 
Yes, there's miracles here for us at the altar. If you're here and there's pain in your body or trouble in your finances or your marriage is about to fall apart or your kids are about to stick another heroin needle in their arm, yeah, there's miracles here. And, that, and there is a resource in the Holy Spirit that can help you with that. We can pray for each other. And I've seen miracles happen, not because, like, I'm walking out this door and I'm going home as soon as I can. Our kids are waiting for us. So it's not because of me, it's because of what we have access to in this place. There are 100% miracles in this place on this day for you. But there's also miracles that are boardroom miracles. There's portfolio miracles. There's coffee shop miracles. There's studio miracles. There's gas station miracles. There's grocery store miracles. There's sports arena miracles. There's art, art miracles. There's family room miracles that God is waiting to funnel through you. Miracles that only happen if we go outside. If we spend all our time at this altar, we miss the miracles that God has appointed for us out there. We have to go out there. My fear is that the American church is losing its saltiness. And if we're biblical people, the implication of losing its saltiness is what? Well, what is it good for if it loses its saltiness? To be thrown out and trampled. I can take you to Turkey and every single place on the map. You open your phones right now, you go on Google Earth, you find any city with a name, any little village with a name in Turkey, and there is a church that was once there and is now ruined. Turkey is now nearly 100% Muslim, but in the Constantinople days, it was nearly 100% Christian. So my Muslim friends, when I was in Turkey, are like this. Look around. The weak religion lost. Every church has either been turned into a mosque or it's been destroyed. Why? Because the Turkish church was too busy going after power, too busy worrying about crusades, and they lost their saltiness. They became culturally irrelevant, and the culturally relevant thing just crushed them. This will not happen with the American church. It cannot happen. Every time I'm given a microphone to talk, I'm here to awaken us. This is just as much towards me as it is towards you. But we have to perform miracles in the name of Jesus out there. The growing distance between what happens on a Sunday morning and what you do on a Monday is a problem. You need to show up to work to worship. I need to show up to work to worship. There's another tangent. I'm way off of my notes. But the Hebrew word for work is the same Hebrew word for worship is the same Hebrew word for serve. So if you go to the Inuit people in north of Canada, they'll have hundreds of different words for snow. You guys know this, right? The culture shows, like, their whole world is around snow. They, we have, if you're a snowboarder, you have, like, powder and fresh gnar and all kind. We, you know, like, I'm into snow, right? And if you're talking about, so there's a couple different words that we have for snow. They have hundreds. So language can show you what's valued, but it can also show you what's the thought process. And there's no other word for worship that doesn't mean work in Hebrew. And there's no other word for work that doesn't mean worship. So as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Could be read as for me and my house, we will work for the Lord. Could be read as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. So when we go to Monday morning, it's just as much a sanctuary as when we come here on Sunday morning. And there's miracles that will happen in those sanctuaries as we work and as we worship and as we serve. Okay, in 1960, Dr. Kennedy, she decided that she was going to start a hospital in some of the poorest areas of the world, 
And so she went to the United Emirates. I know that's laughable now because it's one of the wealthiest places in the world, but a quick Google search will show you that they didn't find oil there until 1966. So in 1960, Dr. Kennedy decided that she was going to go to one of the hottest and one of the most poorest places on earth. There were six families that made up a bunch of nomads that were called Amoretis, and the Amoretis were poor, had very little infrastructure, and she decided, I'm going to go and tell them about Jesus. So she went to the hot desert, very poor, started this little hospital, and who is now the crown prince, one of the most influential people on earth, was born at this hospital. The father of the crown prince was also born at this hospital, and she paid dearly. The hospital had, when they would do surgery or when they would do operations for pregnant, when moms and whatever would come in, they had a list of all the people that worked there, any volunteer that came, they would check your blood type, and they had a list posted, and it would say your name and your blood type, your name and your blood type, so that when someone was being worked on and they needed blood, they would scrub out, go and give blood for the patient, scrub back in and go in. This lady, Dr. Kennedy, was O negative, which if you're a medical professional, I'm not, but you will know that that's the universal donor. It said that she was always the one that was on call to give blood, so she would be the professional there, but also the blood donor there. She would give so much blood that she, she lived anemic. She was always tired, always exhausted, had no energy couldn't sleep well, all, all of this mess in the, in, the, in the hot desert. And now, a miracle is happening in one of the most unreached areas of the world. This hospital is the only building in the entire Amoretti, the United Arab, uh, the UAE. It's the only building that you can legally have Jesus written on the wall. It's the only building that you go in there, scripture verses. Every other child that's born in the UAE has the Shahada whispered into their ear. Muhammad, or Allah is the king and most powerful and Muhammad is his messenger. That's whispered into the ear of every baby born, except born at this hospital. At this hospital, when babies are born, they pray in the name of Jesus that they'll know the love of God. Why? Because a lady went to the desert in the 60s and lived anemic. I'm here to ask you, have you given so much? Have you worked so hard? Have you set aside so much in your life to, for the kingdom that it's made you anemic? Are you walking around tired? Are you, are you, do you need Jesus' blood to fill in where you've given? This is how we see revival happen, when we're willing to serve like Jesus served, to pray like Jesus prayed, and to bleed like Jesus bled. God's waiting for us outside. I, I, I hesitate to try to be like a, just a sober moment for me. I don't want to be a great preacher and have you guys, wow, that was really good. I just feel this like, I don't, I'm done with that. I want to go for the throat of religion. I don't want you to walk away and be like, wow, Jeff's a good communicator. I want you to walk away and be like, Jesus really is that good. We met some people in... Uh, um, Amman, Jordan. First of all, we talked to these kids. They're eight-year-old kids, like eight, nine-year-old kids on the side of the road through a translator. I asked them what their dream was. The one kid said, my dream is to go into Israel and kill as many Jews as possible. This is just like a few months ago. To a stranger on the side of the road, the, the, there's that level of conflict that's there. 
So in that context, there's three Muslim kids that learn about Jesus and they give their life to the Lord. There's a 21-year-old and two 22-year-olds. They're so stoked about it they, that they go home and they fill their, bath, or their, their bathtub and they baptize themselves in this bathtub. They're so excited about that that they take selfies and post it. And they're like, everyone needs to know. So they put it on their social media. In less than 24 hours, the secret police is at their door and all three of them are arrested. Two of them get off. The other one is served a death sentence. They say, we will kill you. You have three days. Sharia law says you have three days to recant. And if you don't recant, we'll kill you. Well, three days comes by, he says, I can't. How can I deny what I feel inside my heart? I can't. Whatever happens, happens. They say, we'll give you grace. We won't kill you. We'll just give you a life sentence, and you'll be in prison for the rest of your life thinking about whether or not you should just say the shahada and be done with it. I think, to be honest, I think I would just lie. Like, I know I'm supposed to have it all together and be up here, but I think I would just lie. If it's like, here's the password, you say this couple of words, they let you out, and then you go on worshiping Jesus. To be honest, I think my wife and kids are outside prison. I'm in prison. I don't know if that pops your bubble of the hero that you thought was on the platform, but I'm like, cross my fingers behind my back, blah, blah, blah. All right, I'm out of here, right? I'm going to run to Canada where it's free, right? It's whatever. So, or America. Um, but he didn't. So some people interviewed him and said, why, won't you, why would you not just, like, lie? Just say you're Muslim and then just get out. Why wouldn't you do that? And he said, the, the prison that I was in when I was a Muslim walking the streets and the freedom I have as a Christian inside a Jordanian prison, I can never go back. Yeah, wow is the right word. I'm like, do I even know God? The observation I have, one is that God has miracles for us when we go outside. The next one is, and this is the last one, when we go outside, God asks us to climb big scary mountains. If you want to do this thing called Christianity, he's going to ask you to climb some big, scary mountains. You can put up the next picture. This is Habash Rishan. There's four peaks. I've guided on this mountain many times. I was about 30 pounds less than I am now. If anyone wants to climb, you've got to give me like three months to get in shape. So don't judge me. Um, anyway, so we would guide on this mountain. Been up it many, many, many times. One time I'm with this guy, Ahwe. Ahwe never knew about Jesus until we met him now is on his way to becoming a Christian, has a Bible, is learning about Jesus, other people are in his life. Um, but one day I'm hiking with him, and we're going up this mountain, and it's crazy weather, full-on, like, blowing wind, can't see anything, and he, hands and knees, we're screaming in each other's hoods, he pulls my hood out and says, which means, I found every step is expensive. This is a funny translation, but... It's true. With God, every step really is expensive. It really is. It's good. It's like getting married or having kids. It's 100% harder than you think it's going to be, but it's 1,000% better. And it's the same with God. Mark 9, verse 2 says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, and they led him up a high mountain where they were all alone, and there he was transfigured before them. I've learned with God that if you want a good view, you have to climb a little higher. Push out a little bit further. If you're, you're like, I've been in my boat all day, all night. I've been, I've been trying and it's not working. I've cast the net a million times. And someone comes from the shore and says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And you're like, I, I know it's not going to work. 
I've done this before. That seems, that's just a lot of work, and it's not even going to make a difference. But since you say so, God, I'll cast my net on the other side. And then what happened? They had the greatest catch of their life. I found that every step with Jesus is expensive. In Mark 12, verse 42, it, it cost the widow her entire life savings. The very rich young ruler in Mark 10, verse 22, was sad because he couldn't afford it. In Mark 6, and then again in Mark 8, Jesus asked his disciples for everything they had. You can turn with me to Mark 6, uh, 38. It'll be on the screen. It says, Jesus asked the disciples. So there's like a famine. There's a 5,000 hungry people. Might turn into a mob pretty quickly. Some people say it might have been as much as 15,000 men, women, and children, but at least 5,000 are there. And Jesus is like, hey, you should feed them. And it's like, how are we supposed to feed them? I don't have that much money. And Jesus says, well, what do, you, what do you have? How many loaves and how many fish do you have? We have five loaves and two fish. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, does this hit anybody else? Jesus didn't say, hey, can you give me 10% of what you have? What do you have? Five loaves and two fish. Okay, cut that into a tenth. Give that to me, and then I'll take that, and I'll go fight. He's like, How, what do you have? Five loaves and two fish. Without any explanation, taking the five loaves and the two fish. What? Jesus, this is not, this is like, this is not a donation. That's all we have. This is like, like empty my bank account. Like I don't eat tomorrow. That, like my kids don't go to school. Like I can't put gas in the car. I don't even have a car if you take all of that. Like that's not, you just asking me what I had and then you took it? You read the rest of the story. I put that's not inventory, that's robbery. Don't you see the size of the crowd, God? You take all I have, it's not even going to make a difference. Like, that makes a lot of a difference to me, but it's not even going to be a drop in the bucket to them. There's three billion people on this earth that don't know you, Jesus, and you're asking for everything I have? It's not even going to make a difference. Jesus, if I'm honest, every step with you is too expensive. We read in verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looks up to heaven, and he gives thanks, and he breaks the loaves, and he gives them to the disciples to distribute. And verse 42, and all ate, and all were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 baskets and the broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of men who had eaten was 5,000. 12 baskets and 12 broken left over. We want the revival. Like, we, we want to have the big revival at, at where the 5,000 people get saved. But... We don't want to give up our five loaves and five fish. I'm here just to call BS on the church. I, I'm just here to, to say, hey, they gave me permission to say it in first service. I don't know if this is the live stream one. Pastor Ben, you're awesome. I love you. I will go to confession tomorrow. Uh, anyway, but I'm just here on myself. Like, I'm a big missions pastor guy, and the world is going to hell in a handbasket, and Jesus wants to flow through us but he wants us to serve like he served. He wants us to pray like he prayed. And the way I read the Bible, it does say that Joseph, yes, Joseph wore the coat of many colors and he went and by the end of his story, he owned half of the known world and had great fame and great success. But Stephen also is in the story. And Stephen, because he walked with Jesus, he was stoned to death. 
And both are touted in the Bible as obedience, and both are the obedience that we still need today. So I don't know if your story is to go and be stoned to death or to go and be the prince of Egypt, but obedience is, like, my God is so big, so strong, and so mighty that there is nothing that he can't do. All creation includes Vanuatu and Venezuela and Puerto Rico and the Pumi tribes of Tibet and the nomads of Oman and the leaders of Saudi Arabia. Yes, all creation, the gospel to all creation includes that, but it also includes your boss, your employees, your coworkers, your classmates, your customers, your neighbors, your friends, your waitress. All creation includes your brother, your sister, your mother, your father, your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren. All, all creation and miracles across the entire earth, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth include the nations, yes, but it also includes your neighbors. And I'm here just to ask you to give financially, yes, to come to church on Sunday, yes, but to reach out to your neighbor on Monday and to go to work like it's worship on Tuesday and to, and to bring the kingdom to heaven, to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. I said it with passion, but to bring heaven to earth. I'm going to pray with you guys. I know I'm way over. What's true as a father, I started out talking about how my kids, I want them to play outside. But what's true as a father is I don't want them to sleep outside. I want my kids to go outside. There's miracles waiting for them, but I don't want them to sleep outside. I want them to sleep inside. And the loving father who loves all earth, all creation, has a lot of kids that are sleeping outside. And it's your and my job to tell them that there's a great bed made for them, that there's an awesome family room that they can sit in. Cool? I know I was all over the place. I want to pray with you. Worship team, you can come up. I know I shared a lot of emotion and was like all over the place, um, but my intention is not to, to have you guys be like, that was a good speaker. I'm, I've been a missionary for 15 years, spoken at all kinds of different places. My intention is for you to get really, really, really serious with God. If you need to, my prayer, I told you was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There was also some swear words in there. There was also some like raw, just, and I've prayed when I broke my pelvis and laid on the dirt floor of the mud brick house that all of my yeses led me to being on a dirt floor of a mud brick house with a busted pelvis and my wife screaming and praying over me. And I looked up at the wood ceiling and just said, God, are you even there? Are you even real? Do you like to watch us suffer? And I wish I could tell you that I had a perfect articulate answer. I don't, but I did feel the presence of God in a way that keeps me going. And I, and I can't get away from it. I recognize what the disciples are like, where else would we go? Yeah, like there's lots of stuff you could say. This is really expensive. I feel like I'm bleeding out all over the place, but but where else would I go? I can't get away from the fact that Jesus is real and I can't get away from the fact that he loves me and he loves you and he loves them. And so we're on mission. This is like what drives me. So I pray that somehow from heaven to you, this ability to, to keep on driving, to not quit, to wrangle the rascal jurors in your head that are like, is this even real? Is this just our culture? Pull them in for the sake of the lost world. Jesus, I love you. Lord, I love your church. I pray that you help us. 
Lord, I repent for any time that I've contributed to the loss of saltiness. Lord, I pray that we'd be driven by your love, Lord. I pray that every man, woman, and child, every person created in your image would know you. Lord, I pray for revival, not Sunday morning revival, but Monday through Saturday revival. Lord, I pray that your church would rise like you did, Jesus. We worship you, we love you. I commission you to be workplace missionaries, embedded points of light in a world of darkness, beacons of hope, dispensaries of love. May your peace, your hands, may you, may you lay your hands on the sick and see them healed. May you stop and help the oppressed. May Jesus' power and authority flow through every decision you make. May everything you do and everything you put your hands and mind to be multiplied. And may the spirit of Jesus level up generosity in your heart. May you be healthy, growing, and full of love. May your entire family be such. And may we as the church always be found praying and loving and serving like you serve Jesus. And Lord, if you ask us to, if your will is for us to bleed like you bled, Lord, we sign up for that too. Oh God, you're so real. You can take it all. Give us an eternal perspective. Let us be like Stephen. As he's being stoned, he looks to heaven and says, I see heaven. I see the earth being invaded by heaven. Jesus, I'm done with religion. Things that get in the way. Stuff that's set up in the court of Gentiles that would stop them from feeling your love. Lord, let us be dispensaries of love everywhere we go. In your holy name we pray, amen. Amen. Can we stand this morning and respond? Come on, let's just set our hearts before the Lord this morning. Lord Jesus, we reflect on your words this morning. One of the last words, one of the last encouragements you gave to your disciples where you said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And then you gave us another promise, and you said, surely I'll be with you always till the very ends of the age. And we, Jesus, we just know that whether it's through the flood or whether it's through the flames or whether it's through the storms, that you will be with us, that you are for us, that you are not against us, Lord. But we also know that the flood and the flames are the things that we experience when we go. That you have called us to be your hands and your feet to a lost, hurting, and broken world. that you've called us to be those who would love the loveless, that we would find the lost and forgotten. And so, Jesus, we just pray that you would push us out these doors and remind us of our mission fields, our workplaces, our schools, our community, 
Michigan, whether it's Tibet or Oman or the UAE or anywhere in between, Lord, you have called us to go and be your light, to be your salt, that people may see our good deeds and praise you. Jesus, don't let us be spiritually glutton where we keep getting filled up and filled up and filled up. But Lord, pour us out. Lord, and we know that as we go, that you will be before us, behind us, and all around us every single step of the way. We give you the praise, the glory, and all the honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for worshiping with us today. As you go, remember, if you have a gift for Pastor Rachel, you can share it out there. But go in the grace of God today. Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.